Hi Diddly Ho, podcast friendarinos, and thanks, A, for downloading the 35th edition of Scoring at the Movies. We drop an episode every other Thursday, and we break down and fully spoil sports movies, usually from our youth. This one is before your youth and only three years into mine. I'm the foul-mouthed goon who's drunk and gonna piss all over himself, Ryan Ellis. And here's my teammate in the Federal League, the guy who wins by brawling and doesn't usually like it when fans throw keys at his head, number seven, Christy Gregorio. Thank you, Ryan. I got nothing for this one. I really combined characters there, didn't I? It's not one person. That's several people. The self-pisser is not the mm-hmm. drunken brawler. He's and not the, a goon, he, either. He's just the drunk. Yeah. Full stop. I more often than not do like people throwing keys at me. So you're all over the place on this one. I don't know where you're going. Things you learn about your friends when you do 35 episodes yeah. of a podcast. Throwing the keys at the head, it's a big no-no, Ryan. <laughs> Uppercut and tabernacle, Calice. <laughs> One of the many cliches in this movie. Let's get the drinks going right off the bat here. Yeah, so please. I'm very thirsty today. We came back from squash. So what are you drinking? Sweaty animals. In homage, Ryan, to, I guess, the team as a whole throughout most of this movie, mm-hmm. but more specifically... When the Hansons come in? The Hansons, yeah. Everyone's favorite characters, apparently. The most famous characters in this movie, even though Paul Newman is the lead. Yeah, for reasons that I'm not entirely clear about. I mean, I guess they're kind of goofy, but... They do help the movie. I think I might be a little bit more of a fan of theirs. Yeah. I didn't laugh at them that much, but anyway. <laughs> so your beer. Yeah, the Lunatic Fridge. This is great on an audio medium, of course, but the visuals of the can being just like the, cra- cool the crazy eyed nonsense that's going on there. So, yeah, I think the Hansons are one of those things that maybe played a lot better in the 70s. Shocking comment something played more effectively in 1977 in a movie from 1977 than it does in 2019. I know that's a hill to die but on. But this did not age well. This mo- whole movie did not age well. This is one of the only two movies that we actually watched together, right? And I think... Both in the 70s, both yeah. sports... Well, they're all sports movies. They're all both sports. comedies. And in, in both in cases... Because yep, in both cases, The Longest Yard and Now Slapshot that we watched right back behind us there, we didn't laugh that much. When we watched Slapshot recently, I think we probably came away feeling similarly about it. I can understand why it's a bit of an iconic sports movie of its era, but you didn't really laugh very much. I didn't laugh very much. I had the odd giggle. and Okay, that was a cute moment. I chuckled more than you did, but not much more. I was walking away from it, maybe underwhelmed. This is actually kind of a perfect example to me of what I had in mind when I pitched a mission statement to you, whatever it was two years ago now, more or less. I wanted to see how these movies from way back when, and like you said, this actually predates me. Mm-hmm. Like, it's four years before I was born, but I still saw it when I was young and liked it a lot better then. Ah, okay. On first viewing, I should say, I liked it a lot better then. How does your impression of a movie change with time? And that was just my thought process when you watch some of the more silly things like Angels in the Outfield and Mighty Ducks and Karate Kid. And this all that podcast kind of... could have been called Chris Grows Up. Yeah. That's your <laughs> nutshell for the podcast is Chris Grows Up into a Cranky Old Man. That's borne out. I've been the cranky old man of the two of us most of the time poking holes in things as much as... Well, I like the whole poke myself. We both are very pedantic. I think that's important in a podcast. <laughs> we support each other's pedantry. That's part of what we do here. It's just let's talk about the minutia of things. It's kind of like the Seinfeld approach to things. Let's talk about the small stuff. Reasonably good questions, which I've done a few times with you and lots with Bev. The whole point of it is stupid minutia that no one cares about. It's like when I say in Empire Strikes Back, who funds the rebels? Yeah, exactly. 
Seth MacFarlane rightly pointed out in his parodies of Star Wars, where are the safety inspectors on the Death Star? This place is not OSHA improved. When we first watched it, I walked away underwhelmed. But thinking about it since then, if you look at the movie within the context of the era in which it was filmed and released, that being the 70s, and when I thought about that a little bit, it stands up more as a film of its time and a depiction of a part of the U.S., small town, rural, northern Rust Belty kind of U.S. in the 70s when you've got a lot of industry going off the rails. And the factory here is closing. Yeah. And look how much that affects the entire city or town, wherever it is, small town. It yeah. isn't just the factory closing, which is bad enough. All those people lose their jobs. But the hockey team is going to fold because of it. And the, that'll affect the restaurants and the bars and the hotels and God knows what else in this town. And it might become Flint, Michigan one day. Exactly. If this movie was filmed, say, in the 90s and there was a similar plot, the mill in this small town that is home to this minor league hockey team is closing, I would put even money at least that part of the plot of that movie 20 years later would include, okay, we're going to save the team and we're going to save the mill. In this case, the mill just closes. 10,000 people are out of a job. Yeah, they talk about it a lot, but they're not trying to have a yeah. fundraiser as a team or something. Let's also help them and it, ourselves. It, no. It's just a background. The fact that this town is, for all intents and purposes, likely going to die. This yeah. mill was likely the sole source of income coming into the town. That goes almost unaddressed entirely, except as it relates to the team and the team's ability to survive. And so once that no longer becomes a problem, or no longer becomes a thing, because they realize, okay, the team ain't going to survive... The fate of the town, the fate of the town's people is unimportant. All that matters mm -hmm. is that our heroes are saved by fleeing to Minnesota. The right? Big Apple. The Big Apple. Or as Bev pointed out, Bev came in during the end of this when we were watching it and said, the Mini-Apple, people have called that. Minneapolis. That's kind of clever. I really wish I knew whether that was an intentional misstatement. I think it had to be, didn't it? Because we both mocked it, and Bev right away piped up and said, that's probably what they meant. Let's hope she's right, because otherwise that makes Paul Newman's character incredibly stupid. But he I think, may, may I not be a genius, but he's not that stupid, I don't think. I read him as being stupid throughout the movie. Like, I thought that was his... That stupid, though? <laughs> it's not the most egregious thing in the world to misstate a city's nickname, right? Well, when you live in Pennsylvania, you're not that far from New York. You probably should know a little bit more about that area. And granted, New York is the most famous city in mm -hmm. North America, if not the world. You should be able to attribute the Big Apple to New York. Paul Newman does a lot of things throughout this movie that paint him as being, A, not very bright... But also, not a particularly great coach, teammate, or hockey player. Yeah. He's a very middling person in many different ways. And apparently it was his favorite character of his own. That's what it says on the IMDb. Really? I don't know if it was his favorite movie of his own, but he loved playing the character. Interesting that he wasn't involved in any of the sequels, although they didn't even have a sequel until 2002 with Stephen Baldwin, of all people. And then the other sequel, oh both of them, in fact, God. went right to video. Yeah, maybe he's the main <laughs> character, I guess. He's on the cover shot you see on... Rotten Tomatoes when I looked it up. Yep. And then 2008, there's another sequel. Both went right to video. And yeah. Newman was dead when the second one came out, and he wasn't really making movies anymore in 2002. Can you imagine what this movie would have looked like if Pacino had gotten... Because he was in line for it, they said. But he can't he, skate. He can't skate, and apparently yeah. that was it. And Newman either is a good skater, or they really covered it up well. I think he learned how to skate for this movie. Learned how to play pool for the hustler. Yeah, well, that's just the thing. He's a good athlete, right? Obviously, yeah. So... We've now covered, between you and me and Bev, at least three sports movies he's been in. The Hustler... You and I did Color of Money, and of course now this. Who would have thought we'd have two Paul Newman movies in our 35 podcast, and then of course one for Bev and I. All right, let's back up actually to two weeks ago with The Wrestler, and we'll get back to a slap shot in a minute. We got The Wrestler Body Slams, Irish Whips, and Low Blows. So you're dragging us back into the ring. I've just escaped under the ropes, and you've reached out and pulled me back in so that you can just apply the figure eight. You just said Al Pacino, so in honor of him, just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. 
So anyway, Mickey Rourke. I talked about how he cries in The Wrestler, and was that unusual for him? I don't remember him crying in the movies. He's one of those guys you think, oh, he's not a guy who's going to shed a lot of tears. So Marv in Sin City was not a real emotionally connected character is what you're telling not me? Not too many tears come out of him, I don't mm. think. Probably zero. But I happened to look up the clip in The Pledge, because I mentioned he was in The Pledge for Sean Penn right. in 2001. And he's only in the movie, I think, in one scene. And the one on YouTube that I found, the clip, he cries. Okay. So at least two movies he's cried, and maybe it's a lot more than I realize. He also doesn't hear music behind the scenes in the grocery store. He hears crowd noise. So we weren't wrong, wrong, but we were a little bit off there. The crowd noise thing maybe is more effective than music anyway. He's so hearing with, people, ram jam, ram jam. That's what he's hearing. It's not mental health will drive you mad. Oh, you mean his walkout music? No, remember we talked, we love the scene where he's walking through the back area of the grocery store and before right. he goes to the curtain to go do his job. And the sound, and the sound gradually, just cuts right off. It gradually ramps up. Yeah, as but that's he... just crowd noise, no music. So we weren't factually accurate, but we were close enough. And the third thing I want to mention briefly is that we didn't talk about this at all, despite our long podcast, that Darren Aronofsky and Mickey Rourke apparently really struggled on this one. Rourke was great in the film, but Aronofsky apparently pushed him hard. I could see why they haven't worked together since, because Aronofsky really pushed him really? hard on that one. But How it worked. So? I don't remember the details. I remember when the movie was being promoted, everyone talked about how Rourke won some kind of award. It might have been the Golden Globe. Although, would he do this on TV? Because he gave him the bird. Aronofsky maybe said something. It may have been just a gag kind of thing like wrestlers would do. Actual wrestlers might do with each other where they're just ripping on each other. But anyway, I just heard it was a rough shoot and he was pushed even harder than we thought he was. Obviously, he pushed himself. All right, so back to Slapshot, which was released on February 25th, 1977. It wasn't nearly as big a hit as some of Newman's blockbusters, especially in the 70s, because The Sting was still one of the biggest movies of all time, and Butch Cassidy was the year before the 70s, 1969, also a huge hit. Towering Inferno was a big hit. But this has become a cult classic, so it didn't succeed then so much. And I'm a little bit surprised, because, like we say, we didn't laugh that much, but apparently hockey fans and NHL players love this movie. Really? Yep. Irrationally so. so. This kind of goes back to the time and a place kind of thing. A lot of the locker room stuff, the -the behind-the-scenes stuff, the interactions with the guys... Some of it, I think, translates to 2019, but I think there's a lot of it that I really question. Would that be true today, even in a lower ECHL level minor league? What specifically do you mean you had a problem with? Not believable what they're saying to each other? I don't want to say it's not believable, because I know that the screenwriter was Nancy Dowd, Nancy Dowd, yeah. Her brother is the guy who plays Oglethorpe. Yeah, and, he, and she based some of this on him actually playing in Johnstown because this is Charlestown yeah. in Pennsylvania. Not the Jets, the Johnstown made up place, Jets. but Johnstown Jets and the Charlestown Chiefs and the Johnstown Jets in Pennsylvania. Incidentally. In Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. I think their last season was 1977 when this movie released, and then uh-huh. that team folded. She based the script on his experiences, and in fact, the insane fight sequences, including the Hansons running into the stands to try to beat up a guy that throws keys at them. That stuff happened in Jets games in real life. I looked at that watching the movie and thinking, if we looked at each other when some of this stuff was happening on screen, thinking, oh, come on, this is like a little bit too far over the top. But apparently not. That's the Broad Street Bullies era Mm -hmm. of of the Phillies. They won two Stanley Cups doing that. It's in that period of time where you've transitioned from the high-flying Guy Lafleur, Montreal Canadiens dominating the NHL in the late 60s to the Bruins in the early 70s. To a pound you into the dirt. Yeah. The ice, at least. And we haven't hit that point of transitioning to the early 80s, the Gretzky era, I'm going to beat you just through sheer offense era. We're stuck in that probably five to seven year period where it is just a gruesome beat you into the dirt. A lot of fights. So maybe it's truer than I give it credit for, but it's such an old school mentality that's portrayed in this movie, which makes sense because it's 42 years ago, right? And especially nowadays, if you watch sports media at all or read anything about sports, mental health is such a big thing now that 
a hundred percent guys are going to rip on each other. That's just a thing that it'll never stop. It'll never stop, and it's it might be a little bit better, but I don't think it's much better. I've said that in this podcast before. I think these guys are still saying all kinds of things you wouldn't want to know they're saying to each other. Uh, yeah, of course, behind it, the scenes at least. You don't want to say boys will be boys because there's all kinds of connotations attached to that that are so disgusting that you don't want to condone it. But it still, to a certain extent, anyway, I think is true. It's kind of bred into the DNA. We don't have to condone it. They're going to do it anyway. Bullying each other. Basically. Amongst other things, yeah. And being sexist and homophobic. And being sexist and homophobic, exactly. Yeah. Some of that is attributable to the era, certainly. And some of it is just probably my inexperience with locker rooms and hockey at this level, I'm sure. Yeah. There's that as well. And part of it is the stereotyping, I think. Is the goaltender the only French-Canadian? I think he might be. Yeah. Wait, well, is the guy, was it Drouin? Yeah. That's not the goalie, though, right? I forget the names of these people. Was it? I thought it was Denis. 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 It's Denis. Denis the goalie, right? Yvonne Barrett. I think that's part of what bugged me also, is the French-Canadian stereotype was so French-Canadian. And goaltender, right? So, of course, the goaltenders are the insane... They're like the drummers of hockey Probably true, though. you got to be a little bit cuckoo, especially in the 70s, or earlier, for that matter, to want to stand up in a net with such minimal padding and just be pummeled with hockey pucks. It's a little more understandable today because they've got a thousand pounds armor. Of, of armor on. The combination of the crazy Frenchman and the crazy goaltender together was a little bit over the top. Cute at moments, but a little mm-hmm. bit over the top. The Hansons being the maybe mentally handicapped or challenged oh, in some way definitely trio. infantile. Oh, that's a better way to put it. Playing with toys. Infantile. Playing with a racetrack thing. <laughs> yeah, threesome. Hot wheels, whatever the hell they had. That reminded me 100% of the Harold Ballard era of Toronto Maple Leafs hockey, <laughs> too, is... You essentially trade a bag of pucks for three players that are cast-offs that nobody else wants, throw them on the ice and see what happens. And that was, as a Maple Leafs fan, what we went through for the better part of 20 years with that guy. These guys actually have talent. One of them scores a goal at one point in the game. Don't see a lot of goals in this movie, but... By 1970s, like you said, beat you into the ice standards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they got some talent. I think I read that all three of them are real hockey players. They're not actually all Hanson's real names. Two of them are Carlson's, one's a Hanson. So Jeff Carlson's Jeff Hanson, Steve Carlson, Steve Hanson, and David Hanson is Jack Hanson. The only actual Hanson of the three of them. Not that they had to be based on the real names, but they are, in one case at least. I think there was going to be a second Hanson as one of the three Hanson brothers, but then he was playing in minor league hockey playoffs Mm. and so couldn't join the shoot, and that's when one of the Carlsons came on board. So you would have had two actual Hansons of the three. Majority Hansons. I'm not sure about this, but I feel like they were in the sequel. So Newman's character isn't, and neither is Michael Untkeen, who plays Ned, the purest of the team, the one who's actually a little frustrating, in the big brawl towards the end. Yeah, you're against the brawling. You hate what they've been doing all season long. But help your team out, man. And then he does that weird strip tease, which is <laughs> apropos of nothing. Did we miss a point where he in any way suggests that he might do something like this? Or his wife or one of the other women say, I'll strip for you. Is there any strip tease mentioned ever until he just starts doing it? Yeah, this movie is a little bit weird that way because the only reason they end up winning the game... The like, two sweetest words in the English language. Default. Default. When McCracken punches the referee, they win by default. And that's the championship, isn't it? Who was the other team they were playing against in the championship? Oh, I didn't write that part down. Anyway, they're announcing the roster for the other team, and all they've done is just re- yes. recruit the cast-off goons from various parts of North America. How are they America. legal players? You haven't played a single game for this team all year, and you're playing in the championship? Something strikes me as being a little off. This Federal mm-hmm. League has some real holes in their rules. And it's supposed to be funny, I guess. But I guess, it's yeah. just, how can they play? But they're getting the shit kicked out of them at the opening puck drop, and yeah. it's already a team-wide brawl. And Newman had said, as Reggie, let's play it straight, guys. Play let's play the real game. But this team, as much as they've been goons themselves all year long, the Chiefs they, are not going to react when they're getting wailed on, punched, knocked over, cheap-shotted. No, no, we're not going to react. Come on. 
Well, Brayden's not going to react, right? Well, he wouldn't. I get that. But the rest of them would have. Okay. The Carlsons and Reggie himself have very short tempers. And when somebody's messing with you that much, you're going to fight back. And they yeah. do eventually, but they don't for a long time. One of the things that struck me as discordant in this movie is the way that they address any homosexuality within the movie. Because at one point, they have the hockey wives who are entirely depressed, mostly alcoholics, hate where they live, hate their lives, hate that their husbands are never around, and when they are around, don't really give a shit about them, only give a shit about hockey. And at one stage, they talk about two of these hockey wives that have started to hang out with each other to commiserate, and then eventually they form a quasi-lesbian relationship. One of the wives talks about getting with the other one. I feel sad about your life because you're clearly unhappy. But Paul Newman's character just accepts when he hears about this. Mm. He doesn't spring back, as you might expect from a character in the 70s, saying, oh, whoa, what the hell is that? That's abhorrent. That's not right. He kind of just digs it. You do you. It's not for me. You're talking about Melinda Dillon playing Suzanne, right? Where they're in bed and she's topless. I like that scene a lot, actually. I think it's great. It doesn't hurt that she's topless. Why do you like that scene, right? (laughs) I was just about to say that it's not necessarily because she's topless. And I remember Melinda Dillon from Close Encounters of the Third Kind this same year, got nominated for an Oscar for that movie. This performance, I think she's one of the best things in this film. I think it actually helped her get nominated for that movie because I didn't recognize her until I looked at the credits and thought, oh, Melinda Dillon is that character. The scene itself, though, I like the dialogue. I like the way they play off each other. Newman, who's usually such a relaxed actor, is so relaxed with her. I agree. It's one of the most heartfelt moments in the movie. when He is helping her cheat, but beyond that. Yeah, we're not going (laughs) to fixate on that necessarily. Although I think at that point, she was already leaving her husband because she had found out he was cheating on her. The morality of that aside, it was kind of a touching moment. And he reacts well. And even she even asks him, have you ever been tempted to sleep with other guys? Again, he doesn't react maliciously. He doesn't act aggressively. He just, no, I would never do that. No, Nothing he says, like that. not for me. He never really dug it. For a movie from 1977. That's surprisingly woke. It's surprisingly woke. But you skip to the end of the movie when the Chiefs are getting the shit kicked out of them. And for some reason, Braden starts doing his striptease dance in the middle of the ice. And like you said, inexplicably, without any lead up at all, there's nothing to foreshadow that. And the other team reacts like, holy shit, this deviant crap going yeah. on in the ice. This guy's stripping down. That's obscene. Get we see on. his naked shoulders. That's a weirdly homophobic. Now he's topless. Sudden stance to take, but okay. And it struck me as a little bit mm. off kilter for some reason. The only I, thing I can say in its favor, actually, is that at least the game doesn't end with the penalty shot. Because Mighty Ducks has the penalty shot that ends the game, and that's exciting and it's fun. Yeah. But that's also a bit of a cliche. It's like the walk-off home run or the big strikeout in baseball. When you don't have that, Bull Durham doesn't have a big game either. This one does have a big game, but it ends in a way. So maybe that's what's smart. Nancy Dowd and the director, George Roy Hill, who directed Newman in yeah. The Sting and Butch Cassidy, two monster hits. And maybe that was the idea. Let's do something at the end that's different. Let's have the win by default when this McCracken guy who's accused of carving people's eyes out with a stick and is gesturing with it. People get away with a lot back then. Okay, it's a comedy, it's a movie. But then people did that kind of stuff, I think. Or at least in minor league hockey probably did that kind of stuff. Oh, 100%. If nothing else, I'm going to intimidate you whether or not I'm actually going to do anything about it. You're right. I mean, Creative ending is what I'm saying. It is creative. And I think the cliche would have been Newman going in the locker room and saying, all right, guys, we're going to play this one straight. And then they come out and they win it by playing yeah. it straight up and they prove that, okay, you're actually good hockey players and you won it clean. And they were a pretty good team before they even got the Hansons. But they were never good enough to win that many games. To be a championship team, I wouldn't say, what we see of them. Well, we don't really have any clear idea about exactly how good they are as a team. That's we never true. really see the standings. You kind of get Newman That's at true, certain yeah. points saying, hey guys, if X happens, we're in the playoffs. You get updates from him. We're a better team than we've shown kind of thing. Yeah, it's not like the Mighty Ducks where they flash up the standings. You're like 0-14 and, and there's one forfeited team, so all you need is one game and you're going to get the playoffs. While creative, it was the most fucked up and weird creativity that you could have chosen. I guess it's supposed to be funny, but we didn't laugh at it. 
This is the longest yard on ice for us, I think, in a lot of ways. Although I think the longest yard depicted the sport better. Because this one, at times, is good. Michael Antkeen, who plays Ned and was the sheriff, Harry Truman, in Blue Velvet. That's probably what he's best known for, although I guess hockey fans would say this. Yeah. He actually got drafted by the Rangers, I was reading, too. He did? I knew he played hockey in college and major junior. You seem to see more of him, I think, skating than anyone else, because he actually obviously was a good skater if he was drafted by a professional team. And Newman seems competent. The Hansons are actual hockey players, I guess, and the other people seem like they're good enough at this. But it's a strange thing. There are times, I made a note early on that there's a good depiction of the sport. And then as it went along, I thought, but it also doesn't seem to understand the sport. And towards the end, the last maybe 45 minutes, we barely see any hockey except for the big game at the end, which is mostly just brawling. It's a weird yeah. movie. It's a schizophrenic movie about how, because we've been talking about that for a while now, is the sport depicted well? And this is, but it isn't at the same time, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think a lot of it has to do with the way the team evolves, right? When they get the Hansons and they become the brawling lunatics. We pretty much just see them fight them. We rarely yeah. see goals. Exactly. The depiction of the sport transitions from, like you said, the early depiction that's pretty good to a fight on ice. This movie's called Slapshot. Do we ever see anybody take a slap shot? I don't think we do, actually. (gasps) You just broke the movie, right? Well, since we're talking about fighting so much, I'll do the nutshell. Don't listen to your grandmother. Violence does solve everything. There you go. And incidentally, since we're releasing this the same week as Bev and I released Texas Chainsaw Massacre, there's Hansons in this, and there's Gunner Hanson in that. That's the guy's real name. Leatherface is Gunner Hanson. That's his name. Okay. That's about brutal violence, although, as we said in that podcast, more about the suggestion of brutal violence. You don't really see that much. And this movie is all about violence and hockey. This movie is probably more outwardly violent than that one is, and what this, you actually see. This movie is more outwardly violent than most movies, full stop. Yeah, even horror even movies. Even horror movies. This is almost like cartoonish violence. You get stuff happening that would probably cripple or kill people. Well, that was one of the things with the Hansons that I know that people would have laughed at, and I don't want to sound like an SJW here, but when one of the Hansons clotheslines... SJW. Social Justice Warrior. Oh my god. I have my issues with those people, but in a lot you're, of ways, I side with them. You're throwing down acronyms that are just way out of my... Uh, you're not around, on Twitter, I guess that's I, way I'm not a Twitter that. head. No. Well, you're on Twitter, but not really. But one of the Hansons clotheslines one of the other guys during the opening skate. The referees aren't on the ice, so this big brawl starts. Right. He could have broken his neck when he does that. Yeah. He certainly could have hurt him badly. And I guess the whole point is it's supposed to be funny, but I didn't think it was funny. The referee in this league was just... Well, what? they weren't on the ice in that situation, but yeah, otherwise just the let them get away, everything. Yeah. <laughs> get away with everything. It is a minor league, but still. Although there was a scene in one of the games when the teams are lining up and the anthems are playing. You've got the three Hansons on the ice, and you can see the referee having a manic moment where yeah. these guys are going to... None of your bullshit today! Yeah. Apparently that actor that played the referee could not skate a lick and oh, yeah. every time he tried to turn around he would fall on the ice. So they had to shoot it in such a way that they could get him facing one way and then having turned around yelling at the Hansons in the next shot so as not to embarrass him too okay. much because he just could not pull off that spin and yell. I he laughed was... at that moment by the way because when he gets in the one Hanson's face I'm listening to the fucking song! Yeah. I mean the national <laughs> the anthem. National, yeah. <laughs> It was a cute moment, especially since the referee was about a foot and a half shorter yeah. than all three Hansons. My favorite Hanson moment, I have to say, and it was stupid, and it made no sense, and I still don't understand it, but it made me laugh, was when they're taping their knuckles with tinfoil yeah, for right. some reason. I don't know what that accomplishes for you exactly, mm. because it's not heavy. It's not going to cut anybody, probably. It's under your gloves anyway. You get matted down as you play. So when they ask, I think it was Paul Newman's character, do you want some foil or something? He just looks at them, what the hell is wrong with you two? No. Maybe that's the point out that they're really dumb. 
They don't actually get on the ice until 50 minutes into this movie that's about two hours long. They appear in the movie before that, but they don't play for a long time. Reggie won't play them. When he finally does, he realizes, hey, the fans like this. And you know what? As much as people have decried why hockey never really took off in the States, yes, Boston and Minnesota, that area, they've always loved hockey, especially minor league and college hockey in those cities, in those areas, Boston and Minnesota. But it's still more of a Canadian sport in general, at least in this part of the world. Obviously, other countries in the world like it too. But one of the reasons why I suppose they never took off was the violence and all the fighting. And this movie would be a good example of that. The irony is that the Americans are considered more violent than we are. And yes, hockey had way more fights back then. We talked on Goon months and months ago. I looked at a graph. There was some kind of peak for fighting probably soon after this movie came out, maybe the early 80s, as much as Gretzky was a superstar and Marcel Dion and some of the real talented players. Fighting happened a lot back then. But you look now and the graph basically has had a, that X-axis. There's almost no fighting at all anymore. There's almost none anymore. But yeah, even that early 80s era when you started having these scoring superstars hit the scene led by Gretzky, every team had that one guy or on it. Or a couple it. sometimes. Yeah, but at least one to protect mm. those superstars. And whenever somebody took a cheap shot at somebody there else... There would be a fight. There would be a fight. And Not it was, a maybe, there would be. Yeah, it was a team honor thing. And I don't pretend to understand it. I still don't like fighting in hockey. Yeah. And I think the argument that it was too violent for hockey fans in the U.S. is kind of a silly one to make. I know it's not yours, but... People have said that. That's why hockey never took off. It's too violent. The Americans have a problem with violence? Are you kidding me? Really? I don't think it's an accident that in the parts of the U.S. that get very cold annually. Yeah, sure. It's, it's popular. for it to take off. And it hasn't really ever taken off. Hockey hasn't in the Sun Belt, Florida, California, and Texas, has, and California. Though. Well, I guess you're right. They've had teams. In fact, those states have multiple teams. Florida and California have multiple hockey teams now yeah. and have for a long time. But it's still not as popular there as it is in Canada and oh, no. those other places I mentioned. We have the history here of it, and it's still as a popular thing new And we're to obsessed them. with it as well. Yeah, It does well enough even in Texas. It does well in California. The LA Kings have been vastly True. more successful in recent years. And even San Jose does very well for itself. The Ducks, I don't know. Florida's always going to struggle. It with every has. sport, it seems. With every maybe sport. Football maybe a little bit better. Which is one of my favorite quirks of this movie was the fact that the presumptive new owner of the Charleston Chiefs is going to Florida. be Florida. It's going to be a retirement it's the major home league in Florida. Plot. <laughs> this plot is so similar to what's in Major League, so I guess Major League stole from Slapshot. Maybe. It was 100%. It had to have been Nancy Dowd saying, what is the most ridiculous place that I can choose to move this hockey team. Oh, Florida. Perfect. The furthest south team back then. I guess the LA Kings existed. They must have. Or if they didn't, they were about yeah, to. They were, yeah, they, they were a 67 expansion. Okay, right. Or the California Golden Seals. But uh, they weren't an NHL team, though. They were. That was a long time ago. They then. were a 67 expansion. Whether they still existed in 1977, I oh, don't know. Okay. And then St. Louis is south-ish, but there aren't that many. There were anything close to that as far south. Atlanta used no. to have a hockey team, then they did again, then they didn't again. No, I know. Texas didn't have any at that point, as far as I know. But as far as fighting goes, getting back to that for a second, I think I said this on Goon, but even now, certainly in this peak in the 70s and 80s of this, what got crowds up as much as, if not more than goals, it was when two guys dropped the gloves and squared off. American and Canadian crowds, maybe not so much Europeans, love fighting when they see it in hockey. They still do. I haven't watched hockey in a long time. I haven't seen a fight in a long time. But if I were to watch one on YouTube, if I could find something happened late last year, I don't know, the next couple months, because hockey gets going tomorrow. We released this on October 3rd, and hockey starts on October 4th. But if there was a fight on that Friday game, I guarantee you the crowd wouldn't be doing the whole sort of, well, I don't want to watch this. This is barbaric. They will be on their feet and cheering. Historically, I agree with you. There's always folks... In well, that certainly was true. I'm saying it, was, it still it is. It was, yeah. I think it still is. I would think you're probably right. It's interesting how much of that is, I'm here in the arena and I don't want to be the only person sitting in my chair when everyone else is up cheering, and how much of it is this guy on my team is going to get potentially the snot kicked out of him, and I want to applaud his courage, because quite frankly... 
We have sanctioned boxing, of course, but sanctioned mixed martial arts. And that is brutal as all get out. But when you look at hockey fights, that is bare knuckle brawling. On skates. On skates. Which we talked about in Goon being something that I don't know how you even start doing that kind of thing. Skating's hard enough. Now you got to try to stay still enough to punch somebody else. It's not an accident that you often grab each other by the sweater when you're fighting in hockey, right? Balance each other. Even if you're really good on skates, you throw a punch, it could drive you backwards. You want to be within punching range of the other players. But man, even the most accomplished brawlers in the NHL, I mean, unless you are a real lunatic, and I'm sure some of those have existed over the years as far as NHL goons go, most of them will tell you every single time they fought, there was that moment of, oh shit, here we go again. All it takes is one lucky bare knuckle punch to the side of the head and you're done. And probably most bruisers, brawlers, had concussions and didn't even know they did. I can't remember if we talked about this when we watched Goon. I have to imagine we totally did, because it's one of the most vivid and horrifying moments I can remember as a Maple Leafs fan is Nick Kiprios, who played for the Leafs late 90s, early aughts. And he was one of those kind of quasi-guys. He'd play a little bit, but he was mostly there because he had a physical presence as well. So he would fight here and there, chip in a few goals. And he got into a fight, I think, against the New York Rangers, and the guy just clocked him on the side of the head. Knocked him out cold, which in and of itself is bad, and like you said, could lead to a concussion. Okay, you can come back from that, but when you're on ice and you just go out cold, yeah, and you land wrong, face first into the ice, blood everywhere, and his career was done. Really, at that point, from that fight, the fear and maybe fear is the wrong word, but just the anxiety that is associated with being a goon. The Hansons don't have anxiety like that. They bring a lot of energy to this movie, too. There's one thing yeah, about it that helps, and like I said, there's a few laughs when they're involved. Well, they're also the only three that actually buy into Newman's bullshit. At yeah. first, yeah. Yeah, the coach, guy, yeah, coach. Yeah, the guys coach. do eventually, but that's one reason that they think they're there. They realize that's what their role is. They're actually very supportive anyway before they ever even get playing. They're, they're never whining about not playing. They got benched for God knows how long after they appear on the team. Come on, guys, let's go. Get out. Get out. <laughs> they're really supportive. <laughs> Did you ever watch any of the Letterkenny stuff? No. That, more than anything else, reminded me of these Hanson twins. Is all twins, of the, the triplets? The triplets. They're not triplets, it, but anyway. Yeah. Brothers. They look pretty damn close. I don't know if the Carlsons are actual brothers or what. Well, the glasses really does help. It makes them blend true. in. And by the way, the Dudley boys in wrestling took the glasses that they wore from these characters. Did they really? Yep. Wide-reaching influence. Yeah, the most successful tag team in the history of wrestling as far as winning championships ever. Is that also true? They won the most championships the, in all the federations. The yeah. Dudley boys, mm-hmm. really? Holy yep. shit. Letterkenny. Letterkenny, yes. Small town Ontario, you got to believe that local hockey is a big deal. It's almost, I guess, akin to high school football in small towns, southern U.S. And hockey in this country is big everywhere. Every single city. This country is obsessed with yeah. it. Well, I think less so than maybe in the past, but yes, it's still true. And so you've got some of these young kids maybe suck a little bit as players, but it's still the same pattern, the same, all right, boys, here we go, let's go, let's go get them, boys, come on, boys. Even though you're the lowest of the low fourth liners or not even getting on the ice in the case of the Hanson. Good teammate, then. You're a good teammate. You're still, come on, boys, come on, boys. That's the energy they bring to it. When all the other guys are just disgruntled vets. Yeah, it's true, yeah. They are yeah. the sour Chrises of the, <laughs> the Charleston Chiefs. <laughs> the Hansons are the energetic Ryans. <laughs> <laughs> not that I'm Mr. Oh, Ra either. All right, so let's do a little bit of Rotten Tomatoes and whatnot, and we'll backtrack a bit with that. So the critics like this movie, 84% of them. What? Yeah, liked it. 7.1 out of 10 as an average, and 89% of audiences. I'm a little surprised by that, but okay. Me too, because I think we're saying mild thumbs down. Partly because, again, a comedy that isn't funny. And also because things are kind of dated with the language, not so much bad language, but the phrases they use. 
the other F word, incidentally, is used quite a lot in this movie. Another one of those sort of discordant messages that this movie portrays. And I think players are probably still doing it to this day. Every so often it gets caught on camera and right. then somebody has to apologize for it. Yeah, and Kevin Pillar, a baseball player, said yeah. that to a pitcher when the pitcher threw Two years some, ago, he quick pitched him or something like that and he mouthed it or maybe people actually picked up and heard it. What a weird reaction that that's what you call him when you're mad at him. Well, you're in the batter's box, you're ready to hit, dummy. Yeah. It's... Anyway, so the other numbers. It was nominated for the top 100 laughs... I guess it's not that surprising, but we didn't laugh. Okay. And it was nominated for the top 100 genres in the sports category. The wrestler wasn't because it was after that was out, but it would have been had it been out at that point. Right. It should have been because I said, and you agreed, The Wrestler is one of the three or four best movies we've covered. And I looked at our list. I would definitely put it in there with Field of Dreams, Hoosiers, probably Million Dollar Baby. as just pure great movies. The Wrestler? Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. Regardless of how good the sport is portrayed, but just as an actual movie. This, for me, is in the bottom 10 or so, or maybe even lower. <laughs> just because it's not funny. Newman is Newman. He's almost always good. Struther Martin, who was with him again, they work together so often. He's the, what we got here is failure to communicate guy. Yeah. And he's also in Butch Cassidy. Bingo. But here he's in his last role with Newman. Six movies they made together, so they must have been friends to work together this often. And you said he's the GM, right? Because we don't ever see the minority owner, not minority, no. I guess, but the, what do you call it, the silent partner owner until the end. The woman owns the team. Oh, Newman, yeah. Newman bitches her out. He's the manager, yeah. Or the general manager. Strother Martin is, yeah. Yes. McGrath. So the movie was shot in Johnstown. Also Pittsburgh, makes sense, because that's around where they were anyway. Upstate New York, and also in Hamilton. One of the rink scenes, at least, was in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. And much like A League of Their Own that talks about towards the end when Dottie says, oh, you think I'm going to miss driving all night for a doubleheader the next afternoon? And you look around where they played in A League of Their Own, and it's only a matter of hours away, two, three, four hours away, that kind of thing. Why are you driving all night? I guess you could play an 11 o'clock game. Maybe that's the logic. And I think actually in most cases, some of those places were right beside each other. Some of the Illinois teams that played in that league. Well, in this one, I looked it up because they play Peterborough. They go to Hyannisport, meaning Massachusetts. Okay, the traffic could have been bad. The weather could have been bad that time of year in the winter. But Hyannisport from Pittsburgh, give or take, close around there, is nine hours away. So why are you driving for 15 hours? And they say that at one point in a yeah. bus. <laughs> they drive... Very slowly. I guess This so. bus is really bad. Nine hours isn't nothing. Peterborough is closer to Pittsburgh than Hyannisport is. Peterborough is north of here, for those who don't know, right around Toronto. But it's not that long a trip. Is it that Peterborough? I thought it was a different Peterborough. Because oh, I assumed it was a Canadian Peterborough, the Ontario one. The Peterborough near us is spelled, I guess, in the British way, ending in O-U-G-H. And this one didn't have that? I think from what I saw in the online synopsis, it was spelled P-E-T-E-R-B-O-R-O. -E -E well, I could be wrong then. I thought it was supposed to be. So maybe that's further away. I was surprised too when they mentioned Peterborough because I didn't think this fictional federal league would play in Ontario when it's supposed to be like a northeastern U.S. thing. I think there must be a Peterborough in that Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, northeast New England kind okay, of area fair. they're driving for 13 to 15 hours going they where be. exactly yeah, yeah we were talking about earlier our fathers drive extraordinarily slowly on even uh, Maybe the bus driver does too then he's doing 30 on the highway or something <laughs> we'll get there guys we'll yeah don't worry about it. you guys play your cards we'll get there when we get there there's no rush and we'll sleep on the upper bunk they drink a lot of bad beer in this movie of course it makes me sad they're not making much money though Reggie may be the player coach, but I bet even he's not making that much. He probably makes more than the rest, but I don't think it's that much more. The film is really dated because nobody's wearing a helmet. Almost nobody's wearing a helmet. There's, There's no ads on the boards at all. The 80s hockey, there weren't as many as we see now. There were some. Now they're everywhere. I'm surprised there aren't more ads on the ice, whether it be a digital thing or actually embedded on the floor through the ice. There are some. And, of course, the antiquated equipment. You talked about the goalie having very few pads. We see them backstage plenty in this movie. Well, in the locker room, I mean. And they're wearing just their shoulder pads and this and that. And they look like they're barely better than pillows. 
very small pillows on their shoulders. Hockey players now, they look like they're wearing football padding by comparison, right? The shoulders look like you're four feet wide Mm -hmm. by the time you put on... And so strong. It's basically armor. And these are just the actual players, like the wingers and defensemen, centermen. They're not the goalies. You understand why the 80s was such a high-scoring era. The leg pads are basically the same width as your shin, Mm. Whereas now, what are they, like about two feet wide? Feels like it is, yeah. It's a world of difference. And they also play differently because of the butterfly style. They're low, which is where so many shots go in the first place. Yeah. You watch Ken Dryden as great as he was and those kinds of goalies and their stand-up goalies. A lot of shots are low on the ice and they just don't get to anything. How'd you miss that? Kick save and a beauty doesn't have it anymore, right? <laughs> Kick save and a beauty. He's got a score here and... No. No. <laughs> He's got a score. That's all. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> <laughs> Little Olympics 98 reference there. So also the antiquated expressions, because they do say the other F word, and then Dyke is mentioned a few times, retard said a few times, Hanrahan is beating up his wife, not cool. Somebody's wearing a Nazi helmet, I made a note about that, so I don't know who that is, but somebody's wearing a Nazi helmet, right? And he follows them onto the bus. Is that the bus driver who's like a white supremacist Nazi? Although I'm saying that it's dated, and maybe in our modern era, at least in the States, that's not so dated. The Nazis are back. Well, yeah, funnily enough, it was probably dated in 1977 and maybe even less so in 2019. Alt-right is really making a (laughs) strong comeback. Okay, towards the end of the film, Reggie announces a bounty on McCracken, and that would get you so fined, if not maybe fired from your job now. Look what happens to the NFL. Some team announced a bounty, and when that got out there, the guy was fined and disgraced a little bit too. But Reggie makes it public knowledge, but McCracken's also a goon, and he's using a stick to fence... He punches a referee and gets his team disqualified. But that's in the final, right? True, but if they ever did that, then he's obviously a dirty player. Desperation will make people do desperate things. That's why Reggie lets his team be this way and why they succeed. And I guess McCracken may have had the same approach years before. It was kind of inexplicable, though, that bounty thing as far as why he did it. It's not like McCracken was their Gretzky or something like that. It's not no. like he was as talented as Ned, although maybe supposed to be. The Chiefs, at that point had been on a winning streak. Yeah, they They weren't losing. They weren't in need of inspiration. Everything was going well. And he just says this incredibly stupid thing. Reggie is not that bright. Maybe he's dumber than I thought he was. Incidentally, Syracuse. That's who McCracken plays for. Because that game comes out of nowhere. It's not like there's a build-up to the playoffs. And maybe that's nice and original, that it isn't all about the big game. But it just comes out of nowhere. They're in the playoffs or even the finals now? All right, fine. (laughs) They throw you straight into it. It's not a Friday Night Light situation where you see the full bracket as it plays down into a, well, it should have been a semifinal. Or Mighty Ducks as well did that. Did they? Yeah, we see the standings a few times. We see the standings, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we know they're going into the finals against the Hawks at the end. Now, Mighty Ducks was our first episode. Very first episode ever. Wasn't that what a problem with them? Not the standings necessarily, but the bracketing was all screwed up. They shouldn't have been playing the first place team in the finals when they were the last seed. They should have played them in the first round. The way it all played out didn't make any sense. Because that movie didn't understand hockey. And this one, like I said, does sometimes and doesn't at other times. It understands it when it's convenient for the plot to understand it. Of all sports, maybe Goon, I think we've only done three hockey movies so far, Yeah, understood hockey better than the other two ones. This most famous one of all of them, because this is probably the most famous hockey movie that's ever been made, and Mighty Ducks. Is that true? Maybe. Maybe Mighty Ducks is, but those are probably the two most famous, Mighty Ducks and Slapshot, and either one of them really understands the sport fully the way that I think Goon actually maybe does. we got to do Miracle at some point. I love Just... Miracle. We should do it this year because it's 2004. That makes it 15 years old. One of the best portrayed sports movies there ever was as far well, as actually getting on the ice or the court say, or the floor or whatever. Just from the perspective of actually talking about understanding the sport and portraying mm-hmm. it well and on, on the screen. And Kurt Russell's really good in that. The other actors and are I do love athletes. me some Kurt Russell. Yeah. Now, we haven't mentioned Lindsay Krauss at all or Jennifer Warren. Jennifer Warren is Newman's ex. She was in Ice Newman's Castles after ex. this, and with an excellent right. movie. Yeah, and he never gets her back. She's the one. 
he's talking to at the very end when he says he's going to the mini apple. Well, sorry, the big apple. <laughs> yeah, that's the ex who... Who's dating other guys. Relationship to Reggie is left a little bit unexplained and nebulous through much of the movie. And then you see it, or rather Reggie sees her at a restaurant with a random dude at about the halfway point of the movie. Well, you can see her from space because she has that huge hair. Well, of course. Yeah, she's got the Donald Trump swoosh in the hair. But somehow he does miss her when she leaves the restaurant. And then he randomly accosts a car driving away from that restaurant. Even though he has no reason to believe they're actually in that specific car. It was just a car that was driving by as he exited the restaurant and he starts yelling. I would have loved it if it was just some random dude that popped out of that thing. and said, what is your problem, man? Leave me alone. Well, if the guy had, he would have said to him, I want to fight you, but you're wearing such cool clothes that I can't. Because they dress Newman really gatedly, granted, but funkily and cool in this movie. Man, I wish I could pull off a full leather outfit mm-hmm. the way Newman Which he wears does. multiple times. More than once. And it makes sense. I like that in movies or TV shows when people don't wear something different in every scene or every episode or every whatever. Because you'd wear the same thing, but especially when you're not rich. And you know an all-leather suit with that level of texturing and cutting... That has got to cost a pretty penny. That is a few months' salary for Reggie, and he's going to wear that until it falls off his body. Oh, yeah. Although you've got to have a lot of baby powder on you if you're going to get yourself into those I pants. Think so, yeah. Ross learned that on Friends. Oh, of course. Years like, ago. Oh, my God. Although we talked about at one point, one of the things that always would freak me out about wearing leather pants is just getting those things over your thighs and the chafing. At one point, Reggie strips down to try to take a nap. And Paul Newman's got some skinny little his peg legs bony on bony legs. Yeah, I mean, for a guy that's played hockey for presumably his entire adult life at this point, you'd think the guy would have a little thigh muscle to him. But and he may have been aging, but an actor would try to keep in good shape in general, but he just doesn't have legs. That are like, <laughs> that's one of my best qualities, but it's one of his worst. Legs. So no wonder he's able to get in and out of those leather pants so easily, man. They slide yeah. right on and off. Little chicken legs. But he has an interesting relationship with Lindsay Krauss, who's nearly 30 in reality in this movie, but she looks like she's 15. And she was in The Verdict with Newman a few years later. That's a great movie if you haven't seen that. That was five years later. One of his best roles ever. Really good movie as a drunken lawyer. The dynamic they have is similar to Melanie Griffith and Newman in Nobody's Fool, which is another good movie you should see of his if you haven't seen it. Nobody's Fool. You're really citing some deep Newman cuts right here. Making me feel a little inadequate. That movie is definitely funnier than this one, Nobody's Fool is. But the dynamic is awesome between them. And Krauss is married to Aunt Keen in this. They don't have a lot of scenes together, but she does have quite a few with Newman. And I just thought it reminded me a lot of Nobody's Fool, which came many years later after this. Oh, that's Aunt Keen's or Ned Braden's wife. Yeah, in this Ned's movie. wife. She's pretty good. You know who wanted to play Ned? Nick Nolte and Donny Most, so Ralph Mouth. Oh, my Lord. I would have loved to see Nick Nolte yes, in that role. Who was an up-and-coming star at that point. At least you could understand in that circumstance why... If Nick Nolte played the role, I wouldn't want to fight because he's like, I've got these chompers, man. I can't risk the chompers. <laughs> you know how much these things cost? Well, the caps I, alone. I think I said to you at one point, people always talk about those blue eyes. And yeah, there's a few times where they really make sure to accentuate them. And The technical people in this movie are pretty impressive. Dee Dee Allen, the editor, she edited some great films. Henry Bumstead, Bummy, did the sets. He's a legend in that business. And then Bummy Vic- worked on this? Bummy. Why didn't you say so? <laughs> I know you don't know that name, do you? I have no clue what you're talking about. And Victor about. Kemper, who shot Dog Day Afternoon a few years before this, was the cameraman. Really? So outstanding people behind the scenes. And George Roy Hill was an Oscar winner at this point because he had won for The Sting. I don't know who any of those people are, but you made it sound very impressive. Well, so You've seen The Sting or Butch and Sundancer both, right? Yes, of course. Okay, that was both good movies. I love Dog Day Afternoon. I just have no idea what role the cameraman plays in shooting that movie as far as the quality of the well true that's not one of the best looking movies actually looks more real than anything else this is fine obviously they have to get the camera on the ice quite a bit yeah when they do it right then they do it really right when they don't do it right they don't do it really right but he did a good enough job i'd say and the movie is two hours long but i don't think it feels slow exactly it probably should have been shorter but this one yeah 
I would disagree. That is one of the things that struck me with this movie. Is because it's too slow? It feels slow. There's okay. a lot of scenes in this movie that mostly just portray interactions between the teammates. A lot of it is Newman wheeling and dealing and trying to get the team fired up. And the Hanson characters were improvising. Those guys actually apparently were allowed to have free reign. Yeah. Probably it, a lot of that, hey team, guys, let's go guys, hey coach, that kind of stuff. Well, not even the locker room stuff. At least the locker room stuff within the context of a sports movie you understand. You've got to have a certain amount of that in order to make it kind of feel like a sports movie. But... I don't know. There's just so many scenes in this movie that just felt wholly extraneous. Didn't mm. really accomplish much. Okay, sure. So we are a thumbs down for this cult movie, obviously. Yeah, I'm probably a thumbs down. I understand the place in history this movie holds, and I kind of understand it and dig it a little bit as far as like a portrayal of like Malays forever, 1970s, yeah. Rust Belt going downhill kind of stuff. We're going to go down swinging. Yeah. Can't go down at all. But you're right. On the whole, I'm not a huge fan of it. But can you score at this movie, Ryan? Now think about the touching moment of a topless, what's her name? Melinda Dillon. Melinda Dillon. Suzanne. Having a heart-to-heart conversation with a blue-eyed Paul Newman. I Turn mean, me on. Well, forget about Paul Newman's skinny old man legs. Which you didn't see in that scene. You didn't see in that scene. So you just saw his great eyes and his face. Ned's striptease doesn't turn you on. I enjoyed the fact that he managed to somehow get down to his tidy whiteies but he was still wearing some of his outer padding around his hips at the same time. Yeah, hard like, to get that off, I guess. How did you get your pants and your leggings off? It's like yeah. the Grandpa Simpson getting his underwear off. How did you do it without taking your pants off? I don't know. Because <laughs> you don't see any of it. All of a sudden, you see him taking his sweater off, his shoulder pads off, and then the camera cuts away and cuts back, and he's more or less naked except those hip pads hmm. and the tidy whities I'm like, how did you get the rest of the stuff off? And so quickly. Impressive. I think he's a lover, not a fighter. So he can also score at this movie, and probably did. Although he has troubles with his wife, so who knows. That is the other complicating factor. Earlier in the movie, you know that he's having troubles in his relationship, and there's some implication that he can't get it up with his wife. Although, they take great pains to point out that he is hung like a horse, apparently. For some reason, that means you must be straight within the mythos of this movie. Okay. But anyway, he leaves the bench in the middle of the game, runs up to the broadcasting booth, takes the microphone away from the radio announcer to in great detail and at great length explain how his wife is mad at him because he can't get it up or something to that effect. Swears on air. Swears on air more than once. And then the way that he wins her back at the end of the movie is by doing an ice dance strip tease which strikes me as not the greatest way to convince your wife that you are in fact straight and still into her. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. I think Nancy Dow just wanted to see Michael Aunt Keen with no clothes on. Maybe. There's logical gaps. She wrote this, so <laughs> this overcome. is her debut script. Maybe she was still learning. Although, obviously, Newman must have liked it because he would have had the power to say, we're not doing this scene, not doing that scene, whatever. Did she do anything after this? She won an Oscar the next year for Coming Home. She was one of the really? many writers on that, so maybe she just polished it up or something. Maybe it was her original. I don't know if it was her original idea. I don't think it was. And also, I've mentioned this movie a few times, North Dallas 40. She was uncredited on North Dallas 40. But she worked on So she was involved in some big movies in the span of three years, 77, 78, 79. Huh. Okay. All right, so we talked about the depiction, we talked about scoring. What about that beer, Lunatic Fridge? Well, it's punched me well and truly in the face, so I've got to give it that much. Now, granted, I was a wee bit thirsty. This is 6.5%, I just realized. Oh, wow. Huh. There you go. Well, we burned off the calories beforehand by playing racquetball for an hour and a half. Yeah, and I was a darn thirsty man coming back to this. I feel a lot better now. Got a lot of water before my little Ryan diet there. you got to hydrate, Ryan. you got to. Okay. So, last word on this movie... Didn't hate it, but not really our bag. But I'm not going to have a problem with other people loving it, especially hockey fans and hockey players, because obviously they do. Not the first time we've been in the minority on a comedy. Do you think so? People love Longest Yard. 
if somebody were to say to me, I love Longest Yard, I would have an easier time understanding why you said that than this thing. I think I'd rather watch that one again, too, than this. I, I've I, seen this, I think, at least three times, and I never loved it, and I still don't. Even though I love Newman and most things. and There's good performance. performances. Yeah, the actors are pretty good. They do the best they times. can. They're pretty convincing as hockey players when they're given a chance to actually play. But this movie doesn't respect that hockey requires talent, too, not just throwing down the gloves and swinging at people with your fists. It's 1977. We're in the midst of the Broad Street Bully era, so maybe that's just the perception of the sport. I just thought of something also. This is a year after the Oscar-winning and huge success, Rocky. Maybe they thought you got to throw hands in every movie you got now, especially if it's a sports movie, you know? <laughs> I haven't done a Rocky impression I'm in just so happy you did a Sly Stallone in this one. I, I Thank you for that. I think of a reason, but it was after that. And big movies, especially Oscar winners or more so big hits, do influence other movies, especially other genre movies like a sports film. Longest Yard had some more interesting stuff going on mm-hmm. within it as well, even if we weren't laughing at it. And I'm not a big technical guy, but even I appreciated some of the cinematography and the edits and stuff that The Longest Yard pulled yeah. off. There was none of that going on here. But that said, I think you put it very well. If somebody said to me, I really enjoyed this movie, I've played hockey my whole life and it resonates with me. Yeah. Then I get like, it. All right, I get it. Yeah. Neither of us are hockey players. I'm a huge hockey fan, but I can't associate with the locker room banter that's depicted But here. you wanted to see, and you said this in this podcast already, how movies aged and this one didn't age that well. Simple as that. I think that's probably the best synopsis for it, yeah. All right, well, hockey season does start tomorrow, like I said, so enjoy that. In two weeks, the 2019 World Series will have started, so let's talk about a team that threw the 1919 World Series 100 years ago. And it's the Chicago White Sox, as we gab about one of the ones you wanted to do when we first talked about doing this podcast, Eight Men Out. And I still haven't forgiven the White Sox yet, Ryan. Tell you that right now. How dare they? And Shoeless Joe and the others are still not in the Hall of Fame and probably never will be. All right, we are on Stitcher. We're on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts, top100project.com, and I don't know, just look for your your local paper. No, we won't be there. (laughs) We're going to pioneer the technology of uploading our podcast to hard copy newspapers. And newspapers are a thing, right? They'll last forever. I think they're on. They're not dated. They're on the uptake. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Take it easy, dudes. Know that you will.